Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Uh, we're continuing our series this morning in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 4. The series is titled Saints in Society, and we titled it that because what we're looking at is, is what it looks like to be a saint, which means a, a holy one or set apart, and what it looks like to live inside of, a, uh, of society. So we're not called to be removed from society. We're actually called to live in society. And so, but as we live in society, we're, we're called to be saints and to be set apart. And so um, we, we've said this, but, but as Paul is addressing this city of Corinth, he is calling them saints. He is not giving them a list of, of dues and saying, if you do these things and obey them really well, you will receive the religious title of saint. He's saying that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, you were declared a saint. Now live out of that, and here's what it looks like to live into society. And so that's what we're looking at in this letter. And we are now uh, getting ready to close out this first section of the letter, which is the saint's unity. And so for the past month or so, as, as, as we've been working through uh, 1 Corinthians, what we've looked at is the saint's unity inside of the church and the importance of the saint's unity inside of the church. And what we've been able to see is actually the saint's disunity that is going on inside of Corinth. And we've been able to see the way that Paul has addressed that. Again, we said this when we, when we introed this series, and I'll say it again now, that Paul had a number of things that were going on in the city of Corinth. But instead of choosing to go after a lot of the craziness that was going on, notice what the Apostle Paul felt that it was most important to address first. He addressed unity inside of the church. He went after division. He went after quarreling, bickering, jealousy, and all these things and said, let's, let's, let's go here first, and then we'll look at morality, which we're going to start next week, the saints' morality in society. But this is where the Apostle Paul started. <clears throat> where we left off last week was the saints, the saints uh, straightened out by Paul through the Word of God, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit um, with an understanding of the Gospel. So they had this very inflated view of themselves. And, and, and what was happening is their pride was leading them to a higher and higher inflated view of themselves. And Paul contrasted this. How did he do that? With the, with the Apostle's life. He, he said, here's how you're thinking about yourself, but look at our lives. We're beaten. We're homeless. We don't have all this stuff. We're suffering. And you were wanting this, yet we have this. You have this view of yourself that you're awesome, and we have this view of ourselves that we're fools. Yet Paul is highly educated. So Paul is contrasting this last week with this self-inflated view they have of themselves versus how Paul is viewing himself. Why is he doing this? Because he understands what he deserves is not any good gift from God, but God has fully given him his grace. Why else is Paul doing this? Because this kind of thinking, this self-inflated thinking inside of the church will lead to pride and despair, both at the same time. Pride in the sense that if you think that there's anything that you are doing that is making you right before God, or that there's anything that you are doing is making you more holy than the saint to your left and right, then you will become prideful. You will compare yourself. I do this for the church. I do more for the church. I serve here. I, I, I do this. And then all of a sudden, Something besides the gospel becomes central inside of your life and inside of the church's life. And that's when things go rogue. That's when despair happens. Whenever we center our lives on our careers, success, schooling, whatever it might be, then we will have to fight to make sure that we keep that at the center of our lives. If someone comes against us, then we will knock them down to make sure no one messes with this thing that's become central in my life, whatever I've chosen to put there. Versus the gospel is different because you didn't 
work to get there. You didn't earn it. It's a gift freely given. So that's what Paul's trying to address. It'll lead to despair because you'll say, well, I've done all this good stuff for God. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and God doesn't seem to be paying attention. So I'm in despair because clearly I'm doing good stuff and God's not paying attention to it. And Paul's like, look at our lives. We are living our lives sold out for the kingdom of God. And we are being tortured. We are suffering. We looked at the way that the saints died last week, the apostles, and the brutal deaths being set on fire and all this stuff. And, 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 and Paul's like, wait, this thinking is going to lead to a lot of pride and despair. And that's what's happening. There's all this bickering taking place. And they are just, they are going at it back and forth. And, and, and we see that. We've seen that in, in four chapters. They're, they're saying, well, well, this is who I worship. Well, this is who I worship. Or this is who I'm with. Well, this is who I'm with. And do you know what it reminds me of? I will never try to prove the doctrine of original sin to someone. For the most part. I will not try to prove total depravity. These, the, these are thir- theological terms, which means that uh, when man rebelled against God in the garden, that this sin was passed on in the brokenness throughout humanity, and that we are depraved and unable to choose God. So that, that, that's what it means. Here's what I'll say. I think the person that maybe invented that didn't have children. And so um, if I want to prove original sin to you, here's what I would do. I would loan you my kids and encourage you to take them on a long car ride. Because I'm convinced that any, anyone who takes any child on any long car ride from the youngest of age is now convinced of original sin, that we are all broken and in need of Christ. In fact, I have this theory that, uh, just a theory, I think it's a good one, that the Ford station wagon was, uh, origin, or was created in 1929 by a group of parents. This is my theory. That they drew up the blueprints and... <laughs> They drew up the, specifically moms, I think they went in at gunpoint. They drew up the blueprints, took them into Ford and said, this is the car you guys are going to create. All the seats are facing this way for the adults and the kids face the other direction at the very back of the car. We have some pictures of it. Yeah, this this dad is the most happy he's ever been right now. He's like, he's explaining how this is going to work. Next photo, this is your fail safe option. Roll down the window, let him jump out. So... And, and I, was like, I was like, this doesn't make sense. It's not safe. In a, and if you're hit from behind, then it's the most safe, unsafest place to be. And maybe that's like a discipline tactic by the parents, though. <laughs> knock it off, Rob. We'll lock these brakes up. So, but anyways. Anyways. If, if, if you want to be, believe or support the, the doctrine of original sinner that we're totally depraved, from birth, we can look at our children. Even this morning, we can look at my daughter who lied to me. We asked her if she wet her bed. She said, no, our youngest. She said her pants were sweaty. <laughs> that, 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 that's, a, that's a true story. I'm going to dive into getting m- more serious with it. What, what, what we see with our kids is this bickering this, the, 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 this nagging back and forth, and, and, and you can be in an awesome situation or in an awesome spot, and you can watch kids just bicker about the most little, petty stuff. Amen? For, for any parent in the room. And you know what's crazy is we do it as adults, and that's what's going on in Corinth. They're just bickering and arguing about stuff that doesn't really matter because the gospel is no longer celebrated. It's not remembered. Something else has now taken the place, and now that's elevated as God in their lives. So, The main point for today is this, for the note takers in the room. 
The saints remember, remind, and share that one weekend. I'll explain that as we go. But the saints remember, remind, and share that one weekend. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in in light of us being broken, you didn't leave us in a state of brokenness, but sent your son to rescue us. Thank you for the rescue you've provided, Jesus. Thank you for taking our place. Let that be heralded this morning. I need your help. So, Spirit of God, I pray you would fill me with your words and and through your living word, speak. Teach us, correct us, admonish us, rebuke us, Father, where we need it. But heal us through the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. I'm going to read through... 14 through 21, and then we will look at verses 14 and 15 together, and we'll dive in. So, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you, then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? All right, let's take a look at verse 14 and 15. So, Paul is saying this. I'm not writing these things to shame you or to make you feel shame, but I'm writing these things to admonish you. Admonishment actually is not a rebuke. It's an in, the Greek word means instruction or it means warning. So Paul's saying, I'm actually writing all the things I'm writing to give you instruction and to give you warning. As a loving parent gives instruction and warning to their children that are going to do something dangerous, Paul is saying, I'm giving you instruction warning because the life you're living and the way you're living it out, the jealousy, the bickering, and all the division, it's going to lead to destruction. It, 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 it's, it's going to be bad. So Paul's giving this admonishment. And he's saying, I'm not writing these things to shame you. And in fact, Paul's not just saying in this section right here, he's saying for these first four chapters, because uh, what we have done in, in our English Bibles is we have chapter breakdowns. So one, two, three, and now we're in four. But they would have read this letter likely in one big chunk. So Paul is closing out this section on unity today. So he started with addressing the church. We can see, and I believe it's 17 here, he addresses the church again. And so what Paul is doing is in these first four chapters saying, look, I've said all this not to shame you. I'm, I'm not trying to bring shame to you. I'm actually really trying to admonish and encourage you, but offer some real instruction and a warning. He's also using this father language. If we see it here, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Don't don't let this language scare you or think it's a contradiction of Matthew 23, where Jesus condemns calling anyone father. Paul's not taking on the religious title of father. He never opens a letter with Father Paul. He calls himself an apostle. What he's doing is using a metaphor. He says in verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. So he gives even a a double qualification. He says, I became your father through Christ in the gospel. 
or in Christ through the gospel. And so he's qualifying how he became this. What is Paul saying? First, this is common language in Jewish literature. We even see it in Proverbs using this father language. But what, what, what Paul is saying is this, is that um, as, as a father is a father to someone who has new life and to a baby that's brought in the world, Paul brought the gospel there. He spent 18 months with them. He planted that seed, and, and, and by delivering the gospel, and, and through the Spirit and, and, and through the work of the Spirit, opening and saving and transforming hearts and lives, Paul is saying that, that now they have new life. And so he got to celebrate that as a father celebrates new life. So in, in a sense, in that, he's become their spiritual father because he's the one that delivered the gospel to them and got to see them come to new life. And so uh, he's also uh, elsewhere in this letter addressed them as infants. And so he, he's, he's, he's stating this as, as a metaphor. I, I'm like your spiritual father. But also notice this, too. As I said before, Paul's not shaming. Shame shame is a horrible form. It is a horrible motivator, but it's very easy to do without even knowing that we're doing it. You, you, you You can produce some results through guilt and shame and fear. They just won't be lasting. In a sense, I feared my father because he instilled that in me, but I never respected my father, my earthly father. And in the same way, we can shame our children without even knowing that we're doing it. And Paul's just trying to make, make it clear, look, look, that's not what I'm doing. Shame statements look like this. You are so selfish, and if you keep it up, no one is ever going to want to be around you. I can't. I just can't. I can't talk to you. I can't be around you or even deal with you as though Christ would ever say that to his bride. You totally and completely embarrass me by acting that way. It's more about your public appearance. How can you not see that that was not a good idea, or why do I have to keep telling you that that is not a good idea, as in you're too dumb? You, you see, and, and for the parents in the room, we can go like that because we, we, we can fall in accidentally saying these, these shame motives, uh, these statements motivated by shame without even knowing that we're doing it. And Paul is just trying to say that, even that weight or that feeling that you might feel from hearing that statement because we've been guilty of doing that. I'm guilty of doing that. We're all guilty of doing that. Paul, Paul's saying, that's not how I've tried to motivate you. That is not at all what I've tried to do. I'm not, I've not tried to shame you. I've tried to admonish you. And I've tried to do that as children. As though I'm your spiritual father, I've tried to do this how? And this is great for parents in the room. This is great for all of us in the room. Notice this. How is Paul trying to admonish them, not shame them, but lead them and direct them? Is this. Is that Paul starts off his letter. You, you, you don't have to turn there with me. But Paul starts off his letter with thankfulness. In, in ten verses, he talks about who they are in Christ. And so Paul, what, what, what he has done is not said these statements of shame. He's actually said, I'm so thankful for you. And then he takes them on this journey of this is who you are in Christ. He doesn't go right after them, make them feel dumb for anything they've done. He actually starts off by thanking them. And I do want us to look here, if, if you have your Bible available, look at how Paul ends every chapter so far. At the end of chapter 1, let's look here. In verse 30, he says, And because of him, who? Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul takes them to who they are in Christ. Uh, uh, as a loving parent, 
the best thing that we can do for our children is to take them to Christ, who they are in Christ, and then show them this is what it looks like to live out of this. We never say, this is how you will get approval, but because you are loved, because you have the full approval and acceptance of the Father, this is how you live. If you look at the end of chapter 2, how he ends that, what does he say? Verse 16, For who has understood the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, showing them what we have. He addresses them as brothers throughout all this. And then now, at the end of chapter 3, what does he say? Look at verse 22. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. He's taking them as a loving father or a parent would do. He's taking them, admonishing them, showing them. What is he doing? Not blasting them for all that they're doing. He's showing them this doesn't make sense the way you're living because this is not who you are in Christ. You're so focused on what you don't have. You're so focused on what you're not getting. You're so focused on on tying and affiliating yourself with certain leaders in the group that you are missing the most important thing. You're a child of God. You are a saint. And you are in Christ. Paul addresses them with this special type of love that a father would have with his children. Uh, with his children. But parents, we can feel the weight maybe that Paul does a little bit. Because how, how, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, have, have tried to reason with our kids and tell them that the very things that we're doing are actually for their own good and it's not just to rob and suck joy out of their lives. <laughs> yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, Paul is closing out this section by, 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 by like saying this, I'm, 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 I'm trying to instruct you as a loving father. I'm trying to offer you warning that if you keep doing this, this division, this disunity, it's going to tear you apart and it's going to tear the church family apart. And so what is Paul urging for? Paul's urging for them to remember. To remember. Started off by saying that the, uh, that the main point is the saints remember, remind, and share that one weekend. My wife and I just got back from uh, a, a, a great va- vacation. It was such a blessing to us and to our family. Um, and there are things that we talk about from that uh, weekend or from that week. Uh, and there are highlights that we share in common. Some of our favorite moments was the rental car we, we rented. It was super janky. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, the window didn't work, and so when it was raining, I would just have to hold the window up with one hand so it didn't leak on us. And then when we would drive into the, the, the place we were staying, there was a gate code, so we'd have to drive past it so I could open my door and <laughs> punch it in. So my wife was just straight up embarrassed by the car. And so me knowing that, I lived to embarrass my wife and kids. So I would rev the engine and, 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 and hit the brakes until I could make it peel out in the parking lot. I would honk. I would yell at people. And you know what? Those things became the highlight that we talked about so much from the trip. And many of us, maybe it's our wedding day, maybe it's something that we have, but if you notice what happens, if there's that one weekend or that one event, that one thing, you, you, you commemorate that together with people. You talk about those details and those things. You say, oh, remember this, it was awesome. Those are experiences that you share from that weekend or from those events. What Paul is going to urge them to do is to remember that one weekend as we do, as we remember these things, as we talk about them, we get excited about them, as we share the experiences, Paul is talking about them to remember that one event. Look at verse 16. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. What has Paul done? 
he's over and over and over again tried to remind them of what they have in, in Christ, who, uh, who they are in Christ. He's told them the gospel every which way so far. And now what he's saying is, I urge you in verse 16 to be imitators of me. Big, 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 loaded, loaded statement here. What does that mean? Be imitators of me. Paul's saying, imitate me through instructing in the gospel. The, the very thing I've done in, 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 in this letter in four chapters is try to remind you of the gospel. I've tried to instruct you in the gospel. So Paul's saying, imitate me in instructing one another in the gospel. Don't go to systems, don't go to strategies, don't go to everything else. Imitate me through reminding one another of the gospel. We need this reminder in our community. And so Paul is saying, imitate me in reminding one another. Imitate me in removing whatever else is in your life that's central and put the gospel there. Not Apollos, not Cephas, not Paul, not anyone, but Jesus Christ. He's also saying, imitate me through a gospel mindset and heart set. In, in, in other words, imitate me through seeing yourself in a right perspective of who God is and who we are and seeing that there is no way that we can ever measure up nor that we deserve to be in the presence of God as, as, as rebellious sinners against Him. The only thing that we can do is look to the cross of Jesus Christ and, and, and celebrate that He's reconciled our relationship to Him. And so a, a proper mindset and heart set is not to have this inflated, elevated view of yourself. So imitate Paul in this, he's saying. I was watching this show last night and, and this young woman on this show said, I have sacrificed everything. I've given up my life. My family's disappointed in me. I walked away from my job for, for, for this position on, on this show. It's, it's a glam show. Um, innocent bystander. Uh, and so she was just saying that these are, the, these are the things that I've done. I've sacrificed everything for this moment, so I don't want to be set home. Do you know the reality is, is I listen to a lot of stuff, and I don't just listen to stuff to, like, uh, to just like be critical. I actually listen to what people's theology is that they're believing daily and think, how much of that have I adopted in my own life? So when I listen to this stuff and someone says, I've done this, I've sacrificed everything, I've given up everything, so this better be the end result, do we adopt that same heart set and mindset that I've done all this? I've sacrificed all this for you, Lord. I've done all this. My family doesn't like me. My parents don't respect me, whatever it is. So I better get this in return because here's the thing. That mindset is not the gospel. The gospel is, is Christ sacrificed everything for you. You didn't work for or earn your way into the kingdom of God to have a right standing with him. Christ provided that for you. Nothing you've done or did or ever could do could merit that. And so that sort of theology is going to lead to a lot of pride and despair. And so Paul's like, imitate me in, in, in this mindset, in this heart set. How else? The church is not a popularity contest. So let me, let me ask this. Th this will be a great question for our gospel communities. How do you view the church? So let me just ask that question and let that question sit for a minute. How do you view the church? What is your view of the church? How do you view the church? What is the church to you? Because the church to Christ was the very bride 
that he was purchasing that he gave his life for. The church of the apostles was not something they go in and suck the life out of and get everything they want. The church of the apostles was, was the bride of Christ they were giving their lives as servants for. They didn't view church as some machine or something they could go to and get something from. They viewed it as the body of Christ. They viewed it as the bride of Christ. They viewed it as the family of God that they could give their lives for. They viewed themselves as servants who came to suffer and die for the bride of Christ just as Christ suffered and died for his bride. Yet our mindset can often be, what do I get from this? And so Paul's like, imitate me in this as well. We can see these things. Paul's other way to say imitate me is through this servant mind and heart set that I hope that what we can see ourselves in is, is there's less language of what am I getting, me, and what I want, what I don't deserve, what's not fair, and I, and I hope and pray for Gospel Community Church that there's more of the language in, in, in what do others need and how can I die to myself to live and serve others, to encourage others. We need it. And so Paul's trying to erase some of this, I deserve, this isn't fair, it's all about me language. And he's trying to put them back into what they have in Christ and who they are in Christ. So, that's verse 16, verse 17 says this, That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Let's look at this. That is why I sent you Timothy. So in light of all this, not trying to shame you, admonish you, I'm trying to remind you. As, as a father, I've been trying to point you to who you are in Christ and the everything you have in the gospel. And I'm saying to imitate me. And now he's saying, that's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Notice what he says here. To remind you of my ways in Christ. The word ways actually there is Hados. Ways is hados in Greek. That means road or path in Christ. So Paul is saying, if you read 17 that way, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my path and of the road in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. In other words, Paul's like, I don't have a bazillion tricks. I don't have a bazillion strategies that I come. What I come doing, Paul said this earlier, he said, I preach Christ crucified and nothing else because Christ crucified is sufficient to speak to our families our marriages our relationships our despair our grief the pain and the hurt that we're going through Christ crucified and what happened on that weekend is sufficient to speak to everything that's going on in the lives of the saints and so he's like when Timothy comes guess what he's just going to remind you of the gospel Timothy's going to come and he's going to remind you of the everything I've already told you. Timothy's going to teach you the gospel again. Timothy's going to do that. Why? Because that's the same thing I do everywhere and in every church. I don't have 10 things and 10 steps that I do. What I do, in, in a sense, Paul's saying, is I preach Christ and am crucified. What I do is I highlight that one weekend and I talk about that nonstop. And I talk about how the saints all share that one weekend. What is that one weekend, the pinnacle for Paul of all weekends? The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that all the saints share in common. We're going to be talking about that now on Sunday morning. We should be talking about that in our gospel communities. But every day for the rest of our lives on into our eternity, guess what the saints are going to be talking about? That one weekend. 
We're going to be like, remember that one weekend? We're here because of that one weekend. Remember that one weekend? We all have that in common. Remember that one weekend when Jesus took our place? When He took the shame and the guilt and the punishment that we deserve and, 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 and He took that upon Himself? Remember that one weekend when Jesus gave us His life and righteousness and perfection that we don't deserve? Remember that? That's what Paul is sending Timothy to do. Basically start over and go, we're going right back here because clearly you guys are missing something. The reason why all this is happening is because you guys aren't believing the gospel. So Timothy, he's just going to start fresh with the gospel. Amen. Jesus died. His life, death, and resurrection Paul declared that. Now Timothy declares it. Another saint, another saint, another saint that leads us to who, wh- wh- where we are now. And we remember that one weekend. We remember that one weekend defines our life. We remember that one weekend defines our life, not any moment that we do. We, we remember that we are not defined by our loss over sin. We are defined by that one weekend where Christ reigned victorious over sin. We are reminded, we remember that one weekend whenever we're tempted to feel in despair or shame or guilt for anything that we've done in our life, we remember that Christ took all of that on Himself and made us sinless, righteous, pure, and holy in the sight of God on that one weekend. We remember that He brought His perfect life to the table and said, give me your messy life and I'll exchange it for my perfect life. We remember that He absorbed the wrath and the punishment on that one weekend that we deserve. We remember the covenant made and bound by the blood of Jesus that was sealed by the Spirit on that one weekend. We remember that God's love is contingent upon that one weekend and not anything that you've done in your life at any moment. Last night, last weekend, or anything. God's love is contingent upon that one weekend where Jesus Christ finished and fulfilled everything that needs to be done for us to be made right and perfect in the sight of God. We remember that Jesus on that one weekend didn't just make a down payment on us or put us on layaway. He cried out, it is finished, the debt is paid, it's paid in full, and his words in a sense were, they're mine. That's what the saints remember. We remember that one weekend. What is our response? Our response is seen in 18 through 21. We'll wrap up here. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For, he says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? So now Paul's saying, look, I'm going to come if the Lord wills. And at first I came with an admonishment, which is an instruction or warning. But just know next time I'm coming with a rebuke, which is harsh. What is he questioning here? What, here's what Paul's questioning, and, and, and I've seen this. If, if the gospel for you is only talk and no actions, then is the gospel taking root inside of your heart and life? If the gospel is not transforming your life, then is it the gospel? If your understanding of God's grace is that there's nothing you can do to earn or merit God's love, that is 100% accurate. But if your response to that is, I don't do anything, Do you understand the magnitude of God's grace? And so Paul is saying that, look, 
the word that he used for power is the same word that he uses for power at the beginning of this letter. What does Paul call power? Power in, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians is in the cross. It's in the gospel. And so he's like, I'll know whether the power of the gospel is taking root in your life and transforming it because there will be less me and I deserve this or this is not fair, I'm not getting. There will be less of that in your marriages. There will be less of that in your family. There will be less of that inside of the church community and there will be more of, I can't believe that I'm a child of God by the grace of God. How do I live in light of that? There will be less bickering. There will be less jealousy. The kingdom of God is not just merely talk. It's actions. The actions of Christ were actions. He declared it's finished, but he showed that through his actions as well. And when the gospel grips us, then we don't live our lives saying, what can I get? But we say, how can I come and die? As Christ did. Let me me address this real quick. Single women. Look for a guy that loves and serves the bride of Christ now as a single man because it will be a picture, though it can change the Spirit's power and the transforming work of the gospel of what he will be like, just to be straight up honest with you. And for the smart man in the room who goes, oh, since he said that I should sign up to serve, here's the thing, and and, and here's what Paul is saying, is that you'll know whether if it is the power of Christ or not, because if you're doing this to to try to get a woman, or if you're doing this to try to get some uh, some respect or something like that, it just won't last. It really won't. I've seen this happen. People are like, man, I've been serving every week. I do more than him or do more than him. I've been showing up, showing up, showing up. That motivation is not a motive. It's not a motivation by God's grace or the gospel. It's I'm doing this, someone better pay attention to this. And Paul's saying, I'll be able to tell that. It just, it's not going to last. Anything driven by shame, guilt, fear, any other motive other than this is who you are in Christ, you can't change that because God loves you that much is the only thing that can be a lasting motivation. You can't earn it. He's fully given it. And the last thing is this, is our response to this is the only reason the saints are Christians now is because Paul didn't look inward. Paul looked outward. And he saw the gospel as something that he was supposed to take outward. He was supposed to take to the nations. He was supposed to take to people. We, if the gospels transform our lives, should live lives on mission. Missional lives every day. Where we work, where we live, where, where, where we shop at the grocery store. We should see that, that God has placed us there. So we can't just look inward, but we can look outward to share the gospel with others. We're here because Christians did not just look inward to what they were getting. They looked outward to see there's a world of people who need the redeeming love of God provided in Jesus. How can I share it? And if you go, man, I'm unequipped. I'm fearful. I'm trembling. That's what Paul said. He's like, I come to you with, with fear, with trembling, and, and not with eloquent words. And he's like, but in that, guess what I get to do? Rest in the power of God. Rest in the f- su- sufficiency of the gospel. So let's remember this as we close, that the saints all share and will forever share that one weekend together. Let's go and let's remember this together. Let's remind one another every day in our lives, but let's share that one weekend with the rest of the world who doesn't know it. All God's people said, let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, I thank you for a passion around a message because of the ways that it has transformed hearts and lives here, Father. And I'm so thankful for that. Please keep transforming through your gospel. Take out anything else in our community that is trying to take the place of the gospel and put it central, please. In Jesus' name, amen.